This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by Bird Campbell, PA, a Duke-loving law firm with offices in Dallas, Orlando, Pensacola, and Boca Raton. You can find them online at birdcampbell.com, B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. Bird Campbell means business. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 86 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Tuesday, October 3rd. Holy crap, we're in October already. And that means basketball. We're going to review Duke's live stream practice scrimmage, the naming of Grayson Allen as the lone captain, and talk a potential big lineup for the Blue Devils. We'll also talk a little football at the end, but first, I'm Donald Wine, the captain of the ship this week, steering down the Potomac here in Washington, D.C. I'm joined this week by the other two guys who make up this axis of awesome. I got Sam Klein in Denver. Yo, Sam, what's cracking? I think that if I was the the captain of a vessel, I would be on the South Platte River, which is not a river that you want to be captaining a particularly large ship down. I'm sure they have some uh, (laughs) rapids there. Uh, uh, Very small ones. Very small (laughs) ones. but, but, But watch out if you find yourself paddling through downtown Denver. Oh, yeah. And the resident ATLian himself, we got Jason Evans. Hi, Jason. Hey, guys. The only river that anyone ever ever references in regards to Atlanta is the Chattahoochee. And we refer to it as shooting the hooch, which is mostly about drinking beer, not about the water that you are floating on. Jason, can you spell Chattahoochee for us? C-H-A-T hoochie. That's perfect. Good enough. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Let's get into it. For those of you out there, we were originally debating whether to record a day and have an episode that dealt mainly with football. But a funny thing happened. By the way, really quick, I'm raising my hand. I was the one who was saying that after that Miami game, I didn't want to do a podcast. I was like, I don't want to talk about that game. I want to talk about basketball. But there was no basketball news. There was no basketball news, but you know what? A funny thing happened. Duke basketball graciously decided to live stream their practice today. So naturally, we're going to start off with that. Uh, the team held this uh, practice at about 3 o'clock on the East Coast this afternoon and did a live stream of uh, an inter squad scrimmage via Instagram Live on their account. If you follow the team on Instagram, you will be able to view that stream until 3 p.m. on Wednesday. We're going to try and get this episode out so you guys will know that, but we're going to post that as well in the forum so that if you guys get a chance, you'll be able to watch it. The teams were divided into gray and blue. There are referees, and they did about a half of basketball. Um, I'm going to start with – it wasn't close. You know, looking at it, the gray team won the short scrimmage. I believe the score was 37 to 14. But, Jason, there's obviously – there's not a lot to take from such a short scrimmage, but it's exciting to see the team kind of play nonetheless. Give me your thoughts on what you saw. Uh, So I didn't get to watch all of it. Um, uh, it, it, This was in conjunction with the fact that today was media day for Duke and Coach K um, had a news conference and I watched the entire Coach K news conference news conference. So in a little bit, I'll be able to tell you a little bit about that. But so the the practice, the stuff that I saw from the practice um, was a team that is very athletic. 
Um, a, a lot of, I mean, you know, none of this should come as a big surprise. A, a lot of guys who were playing above the rim, uh, as you should at the college level. But the biggest thing that, that I took away from what I watched was Grayson Allen's the best player on the floor, and it, and it's really not even close. He he was dominant at times. Um, really seemed to be able to take the ball to the hole or shoot outside. Uh, uh, at will to some extent. I, I don't know how much of that is the defense that was being played on him and how much of it is um, uh, his his own uh, ability and the fact that he is far, far, far and away the most experienced guy out there. A little bit later when we start talking about the fact that Grayson Allen was named team captain, I'm going to talk a little bit more about experience stuff. But um, I, the other thing I took away in terms of the new guys, um, I, I was surprised at uh, some of their ability to do maybe a little more than we thought. I'm talking specifically about the big guys, um, Marvin Bagley, but uh, even though he's not new, Marcus Bolden uh, really impressed me at times. Um, he, he put the ball on the floor a few times. I mean, this was a guy who, if you gave him the ball two feet from the basket last year, seemed like he didn't want it. And there were a couple times in this practice, I saw him moving to the outside a little bit, uh, putting the ball on the floor, going around guys, uh, with his dribble, um, driving to the hole. Uh, it was a completely different Marcus Bolden. A and I also thought um, uh, Javin Delorier looked very good uh, playing a little more on the perimeter than we would have would have expected. Uh, Sam, did you did you watch it at all? So I'm, I'm still catching up on the on the live stream, um, but I, I am intrigued by your kind of discussion point about the bigs. Um, I, I think that when we talk about, you know, recent iterations of Duke basketball and, and the most successful teams. Um, I think one thing we look for is depth uh, at the, at the big man positions, because um, you know, those guys tend to get in foul trouble. They tire out maybe a little more easily. And, um, and on, on a lot of Duke's recent teams, especially the ones that have not been as successful, I think that you can point to a lack of post-production as one of the, uh, as one of the key weaknesses for those teams. And looking back at 2010, one of the things that really sustained that team well um, was the fact that they had not just Zubek and Thomas uh, as the as the starters, but but Mason and, and Miles Plumley backing them up and, and letting them get those breathers when they needed it. Um, so I think that that going forward, it's going to be interesting to talk about um, yeah the development of Marquise Bolden, um, the just the the total impact that that Marvin Bagley can have. Um, Wendell Carter, who prior to to Bagley's uh, commitment was was kind of the 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 key like centerpiece recruit, I think, in this class, uh, who sort of brought the most unique skill set to the group. And then and then, as you point out, Javin Delorier, who has been in the program for for two years, hasn't gotten a ton of playing time yet. Um, but you know, C Coach K likes to say that the 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 guys who are going to earn minutes, sort of regardless of positions, and that's not you know, entirely the way it's going to work. But if, uh, if Deloria is showing in practices that, that, that he's ready to step up um, and, and he is a junior, so he, he should have, you know, some of that leadership quality. And we've seen him, um, we've seen him featured a lot in the blue planet videos, you know, don't be surprised, I guess, if, if he also gets to play uh, a fair number of minutes this year, um, you know, that, that, that entire big man rotation is, is still, inexperienced even though Deloria is a junior he hasn't played much and the hey, other hey, guys, hey Sam Sam you know, Sam I gotta correct you Deloria is a sophomore oh my god why did I think you're that? thinking of Rankovic you're thinking of rank yeah jeez I'm so dumb well Rankovic might play too um, yes it only it, it, really it, quick it by the, the way point, I, right a friend of mine pointed out to me 
um, he sent an email to me and he said, you know, he said, I really think that five of our top eight players are 6'10", or you were talking about all the big guys. He said five of our top eight players are 6'10 or taller. Um, and he's including uh, Delorier and Brankovic. Um, I'm sorry, our top eight, um, uh, which I think is, it, it's really interesting. And, and I, saw, I saw that on the floor today. I mean, this was, there were a lot of huge guys out there and the, the guys who um, we thought, oh, maybe, you know, maybe we'll get a little something from, uh, from Jordan Tucker or Alex O'Connell, guys like that, um, uh, even Jack White, I, I think that they were, to me, they, they were not as impressive from what I saw, certainly not nearly as much as, um, as Delorier and not even as much as Rankovic. I, I think there's a very strong possibility that Duke is going to be exceptionally big this year, that um, you know, Coach K is going to play a lot of these big guys because he plays his best players regardless of position. And, and, and I, and, I, yeah, I, I think the, the one thing that kind of stands in the way of that, right, is that one of those guys, if, if he's playing three of them at once, one of them is going to have to defend on the perimeter. Um, Delorier seems like he's athletic and mobile enough that he might be able to handle that. Um, Bagley might be two for all I know because because he's such a freak. Um, but I don't think we're going to be able to count on on Carter or Bolden to be able to do that. I don't think Vrankovic falls in that category either. So. Um, Really, it's on the it's on the defensive end, and it's on the offensive end to to show that any of those guys can can play the the nominal three position. Um, and then also on the on the other side, Allen, you know, Grayson Allen's going to play thirty five plus minutes for this team. Um, so one of those spots is entirely his. And if Duke wants that that true point guard, they've only got one um, in Gary Trent on this team. So uh, you know, there there's. I mean, we, we love talking about minutes and we love how that discussion shakes out through the course of the season. And, and it'll certainly change from, from game one to game 39 or 40, hopefully. Um, but, but yeah, as, as you point out, Jason, for now, it, it, it looks like um, Duke might have a, a lot of big guys in the lineup who, who are able to contribute. Hey, spoiler so, alert. I want, I want to let Donald get in and talk about the scrimmage, but spoiler alert, when we talk about Coach K's news conference, um, I'm going to tell you guys some stuff that he said about the big lineup and especially some stuff he said about Javin Delorier. But go ahead, Donald, you're on. Yeah, so I, I watched the whole scrimmage uh, live today. And for, you know, I, I, I told you guys, uh, there's not a lot to take away from a, a one-half inter-squad scrimmage a week into, you know, full practices. But having said that, I have a lot of notes on what took place on this little half-hour uh, scrimmage. So I want to start off with how the teams are break, broken up because I think that kind of plays a little bit into, you know, some of the things that I'm going to say later on. The gray team was coached by Jeff Capel, had Gary Trent Jr., Grayson Allen, Marvin Bagley, Wendell Carter, Jordan Goldwire, Javin Delorier, and Jordan Tucker was on the team for the last eight minutes of the scrimmage. The blue team, coached by Shire, Jack White, Trevon Duvall, Marquise Bolden, Vrankovic, Alex O'Connell, Tucker, Robinson, Buckmeyer, and, Bress- and Besser. So, hey, Donald, can I, can I interrupt real quick? Yeah. Are we are we now in on this blue and gray thing? Is I mean, it, I think it's just I, I think it's just how the 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 uh, practice jerseys showed up this year, that, and they just happen to be gray. I just want it to be known going forward that we're not Georgetown. I don't want it to be Georgetown. <laughs> and 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 once again, I will remind everybody from last week that the fight song is called Blue and White, not Blue and Gray or Blue and Black or anything else. Sorry, continue. <laughs> I knew you were going to say something. Um, but one thing, first of all, we were talking about Grayson Allen. It is clear that he is the best player on the team, 
and he's the unquestioned leader of the team. You could see him at times uh, telling people where to go, making sure guys were in the right place, and you know, kind of was a perfectionist about things. And that's why the gray team really dominated. There wasn't a lot of leadership on the blue team. It's going to be interesting to see how, as camp develops, who's going to emerge as that you know other leader on the floor. Um, Trevon Duvall is a great uh, person who could be that uh, leader. He played very smooth. He was able to distribute the ball well um, on the blue team, but uh, there's a lot of times that the blue team just didn't finish. Grayson Allen uh, was able to hit everything that he, I think he may have missed one or two shots and, and he took about 10 or 12. There was one uh, dunk where he absolutely just destroyed Jack White's whole life, career, uh, and, and psyche uh, early in the scrimmage that literally the, 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 it was so bad that the entire gray team went to celebrate with Grace Allen while the play was still going on and let in a layup on the other end and, and coaches didn't even care. Like it was that great of a dunk. It was um, it was for it was ferocious. It was for and it was from maybe he probably jumped from ten to twelve feet away from the rim. And what was I mean, Jack White? It, what was Jack White trying to do on that? He he didn't come close to blocking it. All he did was like, oh wait, I'm going to get posterized. I should be right here so I could be perfectly positioned for the poster. He was destroyed. Okay. So Jack you've heard the might not to get he might not get to play that many minutes this year, and he's giving Grayson Allen sort of the best representation of what it's going to be like to dunk on you know mid-sized small forward guys so that dunk jack white being in the air while grace Allen is hurtling towards him with the ball about to dunk in his face you could have done the meme where you freeze frame record scratch and then jack white's monologue going yep that's me you're probably wondering how i end up in this position and it's literally him with a, a look on his face of oh i'm this is absolutely about to be the worst day uh, of practice for me but Donald, uh, your your Australian accent needs work. Well, I, I went to uh, you know what? I'm gonna let them have that. I went to Australia. It's it's a very beautiful accent, but I can't really replicate it very well. So That's I'm not fair. going to. That's fair. Um, <laughs> so finally, I want to say um, there are a couple of things. One, these these guys can make their free throws. They were getting to the line, you know, when Wendell Carter and Bagley, who were very smooth, are in the in the paint. There's a lot of times they were getting to the line. They were getting to the line with, with, with ease, and they were making their free throws, which is something you'd love to see. Uh, and one thing that I will end it with is Nolan Smith, in the middle of uh, basically during a quote-unquote TV timeout, uh, he was on the live stream, and he basically said one thing. The great team is really competing and playing hard, and that's something we are trying to stress to the blue team and just the team in general. If they don't play hard, they're going to get beat. And that is what you saw basically throughout the scrimmage is that the guys on the gray team were hustling every ball. They were making every pass. They were playing well on defense. They were getting every rebound and they were the energetic ones. And the blue team was not really as energetic. That's something obviously in every Duke team, we've said this all along. If these guys complete compete and play hard, there's not many teams that are going to compete with them. But if they are lazy, if they're going to you know not play hard, if they're not going to compete, then that's when they're they're ripe to be beat. So that's obviously an early lesson, but a lesson that they can carry throughout the rest of uh, uh, these practices leading up to the beginning of the season. And let's move on to the actual news of the day. But first, we're going to start with uh, the news conference that uh, was part of this media day. I'm going to kick it to Jason because Jason was able to watch 
that whole news conference with Coach K. And obviously, Coach K had a lot of stuff to say. Jason, take it away. Yeah, uh, so I'm going to try and divide this up into a few different places. First, I'm going to talk a little bit about the team, and, and then I want to talk a little bit about um, college basketball in general because Coach K addressed both of those things. Um, uh, regarding the team itself, uh, the best news was he said, we've been injury-free all summer, and we've been injury-free you know, all practice so far. Um, Javin Deloria apparently has a little bit of a leg problem, but Coach K said it's nothing major, nothing, not a big deal. Um, and then Coach K really singled out Marquise Bolden, Jack White, and Javin Deloria as guys who've shown huge improvement over where we were last summer. Um, uh, there was a funny moment where Coach K said, we're big and athletic. We have a plethora of big men. And then he goes, plethora. He goes, I really like that word. Does anyone know what it means? It was pretty amusing. Coach K is always, it, it, there was lots of humor in the news conference. If you, um, uh, if you if you uh, watch it, you'll 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 notice that um, uh, he admitted that we are we're not going to have a lot of perimeter guys, a lot of shooters, um, and that we he said just flat out we will not be the out, outside shooting force that we've been in previous years. But he expects us to be an outstanding rebounding team, one of the best he's ever seen at Duke, and uh, he thinks we'll be a, a very good defensive team. And he talked about playing zone. He said, "Look, we're still going to play a lot of man to man." But we're certainly going to look at playing lots of zone, especially, and here's the big news, he says, especially when we have Carter, Bagley, and Bolden in the game together. He specifically mentioned those three guys playing together at the same time. And this alludes back to something that we were talking about earlier when we were talking about the scrimmage. Um, and we were talking, you know, I mentioned five of our top eight players appear to be guys 6'10 or taller. And Coach K is clearly deciding yeah, we're going to have to play three of those five guys together. He went on a little later in the news conference to talk about the fact that he thinks both Bagley and Delorier can play on the perimeter. And he talked specifically about Delorier. He said, by the way, he said he expects Javin Delorier to be a pro, to be in the NBA someday. Um, he talked about Javin's athleticism, and it was kind of funny. Coach K made a little bit of an ugly face, you know, like when you're like, damn, you know? You guys know what I'm talking about. He made kind of an ugly face when he's talking about Javin's athleticism, which is a good ugly face. Um, he said Javin has become an incredible rebounder and that he can defend in the post or on the perimeter. Sam, I think you brought that up as a big concern. Coach K specifically said – Javin Delore can defend multiple positions in the post and on the perimeter. And he said, Javin will play on the perimeter. We know Marvin Bagley is going to play some on the perimeter. Um, and Coach K also said that Javin may be in the mix to be a starter and that he will play significant minutes. This is not something we'd expected. Most people had talked about this Duke team as having six guys who are really in the mix to be starters um, with uh, Carter, Bagley, Bolden, Allen, Trent, and Duval. Well, now we're hearing that Javin Delorier is in that mix as well. So uh, those seven guys figure to be our main rotation. Um, and Frankovic, I think, is going to also play some. But those seven guys are going to get the lion's shares in the minutes. And, and it was really interesting to hear Coach K talk about that. The last thing he talked about was a little bit um, in terms of the team was he talked about Grayson Allen. He said Grayson's in great shape, the best shape he's been in. Um, and he talked about Grayson Allen's leadership. And I know we're going to get to Grayson Allen. Should, guys, should we talk about Grayson Allen being a captain now or later? We'll talk we, about it in just a second because I have some thoughts on the big lineup uh, after you're done. Okay. Anyway, he talked about Grayson Allen being a leader and um, the, the way Grayson Allen leads is mostly on the floor and showing the other guys how to play hard, that he's not a super vocal kind of guy, which I thought was interesting. But back to Coach K's news conference, um, the other thing he talked about was the world of college basketball and and what has changed 
in the past you know week or so with the revelation about the Adidas scandal that, that has taken down Rick Pitino, who was a friend of Coach K, um, and uh, and is enveloping more and more programs. And you know, by the time we get this published, there may be other coaches that are in trouble um, as a result of the scandal, and it's probably going to go on for quite some time because FBI investigations don't uh, end overnight. Um, I, I think the only the only major thing that came out today, I, I saw that Sean Miller was vehemently denying all the charges uh, against him and and uh, and specifically his assistant, who was was one of the guys who was arrested. Um, yeah. So and and, and by the way, I, I, I saw that Rick Patino said that the phone conversations that he had that were supposedly about uh, arranging the payment, um, the a payment through Adidas, he said actually he was talking to Adidas about uh, Terry Rogier, one a, a former Louisville player, about Terry Rogier becoming an Adidas client. Well, um, and, so that's what. And Patino also didn't he didn't he come back with some kind of legal action against the university for the for the suspension being against his his contract? I mean, we're we're getting into the. A yeah, lot we're getting into the weeds. We don't need but, to get into that again. We but, did a special podcast on it. Yeah. Uh, but but by the way, so the thing that struck me both about um, the comments uh, from Sean Miller and from Rick Patino was um, I hope these guys realize that the FBI does a lot of wiretapping. And when they talk about what, what happened on phone conversations or what happened when they met with this person or that person, there's a darn good chance that the FBI has tape of this stuff. And, uh, you know, you got to be really careful about making a denial that then comes back to haunt you because um, there is tape that proves you wrong. So I mean, well, be... the FBI doesn't just go around arresting people for the fun of it. Right. Um, exactly. Uh, you know, I, I, I obviously it's innocent until proven guilty in the court. But um, but but they're not going to spend all the resources to bother going and arresting basketball coaches all over the country in the middle of the night um, on on hearsay or, or, or shoddy evidence. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So, so back to what coach K had to say about all this stuff. I, I apologize. We got badly sidetracked there. Um, to me, the most significant thing K said about this was he's, and these are his words. He said, we don't have a model that fits the game at this point. I was like, wow. I mean, that's coach K saying college basketball is broken. He said that Basketball at this level is a business. And it used to be that it really didn't get treated as a business for the players until they got to college. And he said, now it's being treated as a business when they're in high school and in the AAU world. And he said, college basketball needs to address that and understand that and figure out ways of working in partnership with the NBA to solve the problem. And he said, he said look, it, it's really difficult for these kids. You know, I didn't even know this. He talked about the fact that when these kids are on the, these AAU teams, the shoe companies, the Adidas, the Under Armour, the, the Nike, you name it, um, the, the, shoe, the shoe companies will sponsor the AAU team. They'll provide them shoes. They'll provide them apparel. They'll provide them jerseys. They'll provide them with trips. He said, you know, hey, if your AAU team gets approached by a shoe company and they say, we want to send all the players and their parents to Italy to go play in a special tournament on our behalf, none of that's illegal. That's allowed under amateurism rules, under, you know, AAU rules, under NCAA rules. And Coach K said, you know, that's great. And he loves that. And he thinks more power, more, that should happen more often. He said, help these kids out, help their families out, have them experience things, provide them with, with stuff. But he said, but there's this change that happens when you start talking about college, when you start getting into college, when you start attending college, where things like that are suddenly illegal. They're suddenly against the rules. And he said, it's just... 
you know, it, it, he can see how kids can get wrapped up in this, how it can be confusing and how there aren't clear guidelines and there aren't systems that help them to navigate what they can and cannot do. And the last thing he said that I thought was really interesting was he said, there's nobody with a solution. And what he meant by that was there's no individual. He said, but there are a lot of people who have a lot of ideas. And he called on the NBA, the NCAA, the AAU world, everyone to get together to start talking about this and everyone bring different ideas to the table. And so there's no one person with a solution, but hopefully a lot of people together can come up with a solution. But I'm telling you guys, he spent uh, probably half of his news conference was talking about the challenges that college basketball faces today. And, and again, I go back to his first words on it that I think were really, really interesting and very telling. He said, we don't have a model that fits the game at this point. I think that the, the most interesting part, when you look at that, especially when he identified who the key stakeholders were, right? The NBA, the NCAA, the AAU, and the shoe companies. Only and the players, one, and the players. He constantly, right, and the players, but 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 like away from the players, like the the, right. the like organizations that that have a vested interest here. Um, the only one of those organizations that cares about quote amateurism is the NCAA. Um, AAU, I think, would exist, you know, because the AAU is, is sponsored by all these different companies, and and short of paying the players, it's it's a professional circuit for for kids, right? Um, and and the NCAA has all these rules, in, and the AAU doesn't care about, um, like, like they might have eligibility rules, but they really just want to put the events on and make money. Um, the NBA obviously is just is an entertainment product, and the shoe companies are selling shoes, uh, and they're and they're putting their logos all over all over the kids and all over the jerseys and the tournaments um, because that's going to sell their products, and that's and and all of that is I think is totally fine. Um, the the challenge here is that the NCAA is working with this outdated model of amateurism. And, and like you said, Jason, the kids get confused because, you know, they, they come to high school, like by the time they're 14, 15 years old, they're getting all these, they're getting sponsored. They're almost, it's almost like they're getting paid. I mean, you know, there aren't a lot of, uh, a lot of like places around this country where, where 15 and 16 year olds are getting paid serious money to do anything. Um, so when you're that age and, and you're just getting, free gear and trips and meals and, and all that stuff. I mean, that's, that, that seems like plenty. And, and I don't want to, I don't want it to sound like I'm coming off. Like, you know, the kids should be more grateful for the stuff that they have just that I don't think that any of them expect any more than that. But by the time they're in college, um, you know, whatever major conference team you're on, you're, you're on TV all the time. Like you don't even have to be a Duke player, but you have to play, you only have to play it like Clemson or, or Virginia tech. And you're going to be on TV, you know, multiple times a month uh, on ESPN, on ESPN two, and and at that point, the the kids I think deserve more of the, you know, more of the of the credit and the and the payment for that, and it just doesn't exist. And as Coach K said, there isn't a there isn't a, a central focus on any of these organizations to fix that, um, because everybody other than the players is is making out just fine on this system, and. And and I think that ultimately his voice and and the momentum from what's going on right now with the investigation is going to lead to a change. I think that the the thing that they're going to struggle with and that ultimately they'll have to overcome is the general public perception of how amateurism is supposed to work. Because I don't think that most 
you know, general sports fans understand the 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 depth of that whole AAU shoe company world. And it, I, I think we we conceive it to be sort of sleazy only because it, it deals with that amateurism. Um, if amateurism wasn't a problem and if we just had minor leagues, um, it, like if the if the college programs were just minor league programs and the players were players were play were paid um, from the time they were 16 or 17 or whatever it was, no one would really no one would really think about all this stuff being sleazy. I mean, we don't we don't really talk about it in in uh, you know in in, in the context of, of say Major League Baseball. I mean, there are issues with with exploiting the young players who come from other countries, but no one denies that that once the kids are 17 or 18 years old, that they should be able to just make money and go play baseball. Um, and, and in basketball, it's a thing that's, that's really, um, it's really coming to a head because the players aren't, aren't the ones getting represented. And, and I think that coach K really nailed all, he like, obviously I have all my own opinions about this. I think that coach K hit on just about every point that sort of matters to me in this conversation and, and kind of to wrap it up, the way that he noted that there isn't there isn't one person or, or one body that has that has all the answers, but a lot of people have good ideas. Um, I think Jay Billis has has floated the idea before, and I know that other writers have of there needing to be a sort of a college basketball commissioner, and and this might be the the impetus for maybe maybe you don't call it that, but but somebody or or somebody that that is going to take more charge of this and acknowledge kind of the professionalism of it as it exists today and not according to the way outdated amateurism model. Yeah, I I think you guys hit pretty much everything about that portion of the 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 scandal and, and Coach K's thoughts on it and how it relates back to college basketball. One thing I did want to touch on really quickly uh was his thoughts on the big lineup. And uh, you know, we we hinted at it a little bit while we were discussing the scrimmage uh about all these guys who could be seeing a lot of playing time and you're looking at this roster and, you know, five of those guys are above 6'10", as Jason said. That is something that I don't think we've seen in a Duke team in a long time uh, where you have so much length that is versatile. Uh, you know, like you said, like Jason said, Marvin Bagley can play on the wing. Javin Deloria can play on the wing. Uh, Wendell Carter has played on the wing before in high school, but he's not – the fact that we have the ability to say – Carter, you stay in the post. Bolden, stay in the post. We got, you know, guys on the wing that can give it to you. That is a plethora of of riches right there. And to, you know, when you you're still throwing in, you're leaving out in that five, you're leaving out three of the best players on the team in Grayson Allen, Trayvon Duvall, and Gary Trent Jr. So that is going to be really interesting to see how how these things play out over. Uh, over the the course of the practices and leading into the games, I think when countdown to craziness happens, you'll kind of see a better mix of how this team is shaping up to look like as far as starting lineups are concerned, as far as rotation is concerned. But in the end, I think it's really, really awesome to see that we have such versatility on both ends of the floor. We're going to be a good rebounding team. We're going to be a team that is athletic, that can get out, that can move. We may not be hitting, you know, eight, 18 threes a game, but we may be having 18 dunks a game, which is going to be just as electrifying for the, uh, for this team. And if we can do that, you know, you know, it's really, that's really heartening to see uh, with this team going forward. 
I mean, with the with with all the recent like research and data related to efficiency in basketball, there's basically two outcomes that teams are chasing these days, and that's three pointers and dunks. Duke, I would say, traditionally is a three pointer team, and this year will probably be more of a dunk team. Yeah, or I mean, even not dunks. Like, I mean, the fact that Bagley and Carter uh, have this, you know, great finish uh, and great touch around the rim. Uh, I think that's going to be really, really good because teams are going to, you know, team, you can narrow in on teams that are just looking to, you know, dunk the life out of you. Uh, and with us being so versatile, being able to shoot from 10 feet, you know, Vrankovic had a couple of games or a couple of shots today where he shot from like 17 feet, uh, you know, right that tweener range between the free throw line and the three point line. The fact that if you have a guy that's seven foot that can pull a, a defender out that far, that's going to open up the floor for everyone else to do their thing. And I think that is what you're going to look for uh, as we move forward in, you know, in this early part of the season. It's going to be an interesting uh, transition for Duke fan, for Duke fans who like to complain about how the team takes too many threes and how the, the big men don't make any big man moves. Um, this season's going to, going to turn all their complaints on their ear and they're going to have to um, totally change the way that they complain about the team. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by Bird Campbell PA, the Duke law firm that is run by Duke fans. We wanted to highlight a story this week that was sent to us by one of the founders of Bird Campbell, Mr. Tucker Bird. He graduated from Duke in 1978. And when he was a sophomore, or 1979, excuse me, when he was a sophomore, he and his uh, fraternity brother, Bob, uh, went down to see Duke play Clemson in football down at Death Valley in Clemson. And uh, Duke won, or they tied the game rather, at, right, at the, right at the end with a field goal. It was a 57-yard field goal kicked by Vince Fusco. That 57-yarder is still a Duke record. And uh, Tucker just wanted us to to tell everybody how amazing it was to have two skinny Duke students celebrating while 80,000 Tiger fans were sitting in stunned silence down in Death Valley. So um, good memories from him from Duke football from back in the 70s. And thanks again for your sponsorship of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Okay, to close out the basketball news, uh, the big news that came today from the team uh, was the announcement that Grayson Allen was named the lone captain uh, for this year's version of the Duke basketball team. I don't think many were shocked that Allen would be named as a captain, but what may be a surprise to some is that he was the lone captain. Uh, But Allen being the lone captain, the lone senior on the team, the only player who has played considerable minutes for Duke on the roster, the guys next, you know, way down the line being Marquise Bolden and Antonio Rankovic. Allen is the man that sounds like the team and the coaching staff has put their trust to number three. Uh, Sam, give me your thoughts on Grayson Allen as the lone captain for this year's Blue Devils. I'm excited about it. I, I, I know that he's, he's been through a lot at Duke, probably been through sort of more ups and downs than, than any player in recent history. And I think it, it says a lot. I, and I'll I'll say that this thought was not my own. I, I I also grabbed it from a couple different posters on the DBR forums, which everybody should be uh, checking out. Um, but that it shows 
not just Grayson's maturity because we expected him to be a captain, but the fact that he's the lone captain uh, shows how much the coaching staff trusts him because um, if he loses that job for whatever reason, for any of the sort of shenanigans that have gone on in the past, um, there's nobody else there to formally step up unless the coaching staff appoints them. And I think that that's a, uh, that's a challenge to Grayson, but it's also an endorsement of, of how the staff thinks he's matured. Um, he, he looks around and he sees that, you know, all the guys who are going to be starting around him are freshmen and sophomores, and, and he's going to have to be an important voice for this team and an important, important leader on the court and off. And uh, I'm, I'm frankly excited about all the sort of Grayson Redemption stories we're going to get to read this year because he's obviously going to be a huge focus um, for Duke fans and, and also just for college basketball fans in general. I know that uh, I've seen a few articles about him coming out already uh, based on based on this news and, and the limited um, details we've gotten from watching the one practice. So uh, I'm excited for Grayson. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not, I guess I'm not surprised by the news, um, just given that I don't think there was anybody else in the program who had enough experience to, to step up into that role. And I know we've talked before about how um, kind of the one season in, in recent memory when Duke sort of struggled with, with leadership like this, um, that I can remember at least with, is back in 2006 when Greg Paulus and Josh McRoberts were, uh, were captains as sophomores next to, um, next to junior Demarcus Nelson. Um, that was the season, remember, when we lost to VCU in the tournament. I don't need to rehash everything about it, but, but among other problems that year, uh, leadership was a huge issue, and I, I don't think that Coach K is going to go back to having um, sophomore leaders, and it's not even like he has a, contribu- a, a sophomore player this year who, is going to con- who has contributed in the past at least as much as Paulus and McRoberts had going into their sophomore years. So I'm not super surprised by it, but I am excited for Grayson and uh, hope that he seizes the opportunity. Jason? So uh, the thing that strikes me, and it, it shouldn't be you know, any surprise, is the, the lack of minutes by everyone else who's not named Grayson Allen. Um, and, and you guys know this intrinsically, but I'm going to ask you anyway, just to take a guess. Um, how, many, how many more multiples, how many times do you think Grayson Allen's career minutes are compared to the entire rest of the roster? 15. Ooh. What'd you say? 15. God, wow. No, that would be truly that monstrous. Would... <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was going to see if I could, if I could, if I could reason it out on the show real quick. Well, you, you want me go to try? It. It's I not do. 15. Okay. <laughs> yes, I, I, I knew it was 15. Um, so assuming that, that like the last two years, Grayson Allen was playing like, 30 minutes a game um, across, say, 70 games. That's two 2,100 minutes, give or take. And then maybe bump that up to like 2,500 with his freshman year because he played a little bit his freshman year, but not a ton. Um, the only other two guys in the roster that have gotten even notable minutes, I think, would be Bolden and, and Delorier. Um, I mean, Vrankovic has had spot minutes. Jack White had spot minutes. I mean, even Delorier, you could say, was spot minutes. Right. Um, but let, let's say that um, that Bolden had like maybe like among those guys like 500. So I'd say yeah, it's probably like like five times Grayson Allen over the rest of the team. Wow, that that was impressive. It's it's a little more than six times. Okay, it, it's it's a uh, 6.13 
times as many minutes, but that was very good rationalization. And your your estimates were were right on target, Sam. I'm so impressed. That's not fair. He did math. I didn't do math. <laughs> I, have, I, 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 am an, I am an engineer by trade and yeah, by I'm education. Not. I just, I just <laughs> bought out numbers sometimes. And I could, I could argue 15. I'd be wrong, but I could, argue, I could make an argument. <laughs> I, yeah, 15 sounded wrong. I didn't know there'd be math on the test, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Grayson, Grayson Allen has played 2,646 minutes, 2,646 total in his what career. Did I, did I guess 2,500? You did, man. I was so impressed at that moment. I was like, wow, that is really good. 26, 46 minutes in his career and the rest of the team combined. Every single other player on the roster combined are at 431 minutes. Um, Allen, as a freshman, by the way, played 322. So Grayson Allen, as a freshman, almost had as many minutes as the entire rest of the roster combined. The guy who has the most minutes other than Grayson Allen is Marquise Bolden, 157. And then Antonio Vrankovic with 115 and Javin Delorier with 85. Those are the, uh, uh, you know, it's like none of these guys have played very much at all. And uh, I think they had no choice but to make Grayson Allen the the solo captain. Um, although there's a piece of me that really hopes at some point during the season, they elevate someone else. You know, maybe Delorier is getting lots of time. Uh, maybe maybe Trevon Duval is really vocal and really active. Maybe maybe Frankovic is showing himself in practice uh, to be a real outspoken leader. I, you know, I don't know what the formula is or how it necessarily happens. Hey, what about Justin Robinson? He's in his third year in the program. He's as experienced as just about anybody, even though he has a total of 10 minutes in his entire career. But I'd sort of like there to be a co-captain at some point during the season. Um, not because I don't think Grayson can handle the job and not because I don't think Grayson is up to it, but because I'd like to hear that someone else is really asserting themselves and being a voice and a leader on this team because they're going to need it with so many young guys. But I, I just I, the only comment I have on Grayson being the team captain is uh, is the fact that this is an unbelievably inexperienced team aside from Grayson Allen. Um, and I, the, I thought for a moment there was this brief fleeting moment where I thought that Grayson Allen as a freshman had played more than the entire rest of the team combined. He didn't quite get there. He comes close. Uh, but he certainly, even as a freshman, played more meaningful minutes than any of these guys. Um, I, you know, even though, you know, Jack White has played 61 minutes in his career, how many of those minutes were in a game where, where the outcome was even mildly in doubt? Probably zero. Um, the only guy who's played where I think the only guy who's played any minutes at all where where a game was in doubt is Bolden and Vrankovic. And did maybe Del, maybe Delorier got a couple minutes at some point in some uh, actually I don't even think about that. I think but he did anyway. in maybe like foul trouble or something like that, but yeah, I think he's had maybe one or two. Yeah. Yeah, not much at all. But, you know, the great thing to hear is Coach K talked about it in his news conference and, you know, a lot of these guys are have made real progress or really, you know, they're being vocal and they're uh they're they're playing hard in practice and and it looks like they're going to contribute for us this year. So, um who cares what they did in the past? I need them now. I need them now. <laughs> so, I I think one thing, you know, that you take away from this, you know, first of all, I think you're talking about it with the 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 most experienced by a long shot that Grayson Allen has. The, before the season, or I'm sorry, after the season last year, uh, Coach K told uh, Grayson Allen to take three months off of basketball to focus on healing, to focus on 
you know, getting back to square one uh, mentally. And you could tell that it's paid off. You, you see Grayson is, is having fun in practice. He's, you know, he seems healthy. Coach K said he's never been healthier. Um, and, and just, I feel like it puts, it puts a lot on, uh, you know, on him to really energize the team. You could see in the practice day, he was energizing the team to the point where he throws them a dunk. The entire team would rather celebrate with him than go back on defense. Like that is what you want to see from somebody. Now, what does this mean for the rest of the roster? I think you're going to see somebody and who that is. I'm not sure yet, but. Uh, I'm going to go on a, on a, I'm just going to throw out a, a $2 bet, if you will. Antonio Vrankovic will be elevated to captain before the year is out. Here's why I say that. During these, you know, you've seen some of the videos, you've seen some of the practices. There is one voice that I hear over everybody else's. And, you, and, and as you guys have noted, there's been a lot of chatter. They, they're all talking. They're all being leaders in their own right. But there's one who's speaking out over everyone else, and that's Vrankovic. Um, and I think that he has the tools to be somebody that can lead the bench, somebody that can, you know, that knows his role, that goes out and plays it. And, you know, after being in this program for a couple of years, he is ready to assume that leadership role. And I think the fact that he didn't get it at the initial outset is something that's going to motivate him to, to go even further. And I think in the end, Antonio Vrankovic will be a captain. I think that's going to take some time for him to mold into that role and really develop as a player. Because once he does that, once he gets all these guys, we will have a second leader on the floor. We'll have a second leader on the bench. That's going to be useful for this team going forward. And I'll tell you something, Donald. Um, I love that choice. I think that is a wise choice. And and I hearken back to uh, folks, I told you earlier um, this year in the off season about a really great article uh, about Vrankovic <clears throat> that was on Duke Blue Planet, where they talked about the experience he had over the summer playing for the for the national team in, oh God, Donald, help me. What, uh, uh, what country? Oh my God, I can't believe I can't remember his country. Croatia, Croatia, right? Whatever it was. Uh, but Vrankovic um, really got a lot of experience over the summer. He, it, to me, like he uh, matured tremendously this summer from playing with, not just older players, but men. Um, and so I think your choice of Rankovic as the guy who's going to be the, you know, the, the next captain for Duke is, is a really wise one. And uh, um, I hope it comes true because I think the guy deserves it. I don't know if, um, if that's actually going to happen, Donald, and I, and I applaud you for a, for a bold prediction. Um, but he would be, I think, like the only, the, the only like logical selection if there was going to be one during the season. I, I just don't see it happening. Okay, I think we're done with basketball for now. Obviously, there's going to be more coming in the, in the weeks to come. We're going to get in, into football, and it's not the recap that we want to do, but it's the recap that we kind of are going to do anyway. Uh, it's quite simple. We played Miami last Friday. Friday Night Lights and took L, a really big one, 31 to 6 uh, on national TV. Uh, I'm going to get into some of, you know, I was at the games. I'll get into my thoughts in just a second. Uh, but we're going to you know recap what? Hey, this. Donald, Donald actually, you know I think, 
you were there. I think you should lead the conversation. I know you're playing host and you toss stuff to us. I'm going to jump in and toss it to you. You were at the game. Give us your impressions from being at the game. Well, I will say, Jason, that, you know, first off, it was – you know, when the game started, it was an electric atmosphere. It has, you know, we've talked about the attendance in the past uh, of the games this year. The stands were full. Um, there was a lot of Miami fans, but there was a ton of Duke fans as well. The students were out. The students were loud. Uh, There's a lot of, you know, stuff you could hear on TV. Apparently, I was getting text messages from my brother who was watching the game, and he was like, the, the crowd sounds electric. What the Defense didn't do what the offense didn't do is give us reasons to cheer. Um, it was really a frustrating game from the stands' perspective. There's a obviously there's a couple plays here and there that gave you cause to you know get out of your seat and be and be animated and, and be excited about what was coming. A good stop on defense, a, a nice play on offense, but in the end, it was quite simple. We just didn't play very well on either side of the football. We allowed you know our our it just wasn't the same Duke gang we've seen the first four weeks of the season. And it really wasn't, honestly, it really wasn't a lot of what Miami did. Miami had a couple of big plays, uh, but they didn't, you know, we talked about Jason, you talked about limiting the running game uh, last week and they did, they only got 139 yards rushing, which is, you know, something that, you know, uh, Mark Walton got 204 by himself the week before, but for some reason it just, they were giving up play after play after play that really were backbreakers as far as momentum was concerned. The offensive line had probably their worst day in a long time. They allowed six sacks. Miami had 11 tackles for loss. And oh, and by the way, on the offensive line, how many backbreaking penalties did we have? Absolutely. Like every time we'd, oh my God, every time we'd have a big play, there'd be a flag and it would be one of the offensive linemen. Absolutely. And that, and that really, that really hurt us, especially when we were trying to creep back into it in the second quarter, there's a couple times we drove down the field and then all of a sudden it was like second and 34. And you're like, you went from being in the red zone to being at the 50 yard line and having to punt. And those, you can't have those in, in games against good teams. You can't have those in games against mediocre teams. And you know, those are the mistakes that really cost Duke points and momentum because some of those points, like for instance, right before the end of the half, you know, we were driving, we get to the goal, we get to the uh, red zone, and then we had a couple of penalties and had to settle for a field goal. And you're thinking, okay, field goal's cool, but a touchdown would have put the game within reach. We would have been down four, entering the break with the momentum. Instead, Miami treats that as a victory on defense. They only give up three points, they get the ball back, and the first play, I mean, sorry, the first drive that they have, they walk all the way down the field and score. So that's not what, you you know, what we've been accustomed to seeing so far this year. I'm hoping that that is out of their system. Um, but I, I will say that the fans were there. The fans were loud. The fans just, you know, they didn't get anything from the team to really motivate them to, to keep going. You know, it, it was, it was very frustrating in that regard and being down there, the, you know, being down there, you know, I had my parents with me. I had my cousins with me. They, loved every bit of it they loved the new stadium they loved everything that's you know i'm sorry the renovated stadium they loved everything about the atmosphere the only thing that they wish we could have had was something to celebrate in the form of a victory we didn't get that against uh miami now it's time to shake that off next play and get back against uva but now jason what did you see uh from the tv set that i didn't see really in the stands 
Well, I already talked about the penalties that were absolute backbreakers, but to me, uh, my takeaway, and, and and this has sort of been trending this way for a few weeks for for Duke football. Um, I think that I think we've got one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, I think that we may have like a top ten, top fifteen defense. Um, uh, and, and in fact, our run defense, I think I've seen some place, our run defense is like one of the top two or three in the entire nation. But I think our offense is, is like barely a top 50 offense. And uh, I mean, you guys remember earlier this year when there was talk that Daniel Jones would be on the NFL's radar? I mean, no way. And, and by the way, I don't blame him as much as I do our receivers. Our, our receivers don't look like they're getting separation when they, when, uh, you know, Daniel Jones puts the ball on target to them. They, they're not making catches. They're not making plays. Our offensive line is not protecting Jones nearly well enough. Um, Steve Logan of WRAL, who, who's an excellent, excellent commentator and, and observer of, of uh, college football, said that um, he went back, he watched the tape, and he used stats and these other kind of things. And he said there were 10 times that Daniel Jones threw a ball that was a 50-50 ball. Um, you know, uh, there, there was sort of equal chance for the defense to make a play or for the offensive guy, for the Duke receiver to win the battle and make that play. Um, and, and, uh, and Steve Logan said, you know, these were balls that were thrown with NFL accuracy. And of those 10 50-50 balls, the Duke receivers won the battle exactly zero times. Zero. Flip a coin 10 times, and it came up tails every single time for Duke. Uh, that's damning testimony against our receiving core. The, these guys have got to find a way to get open. They've got to find a way to catch the ball when it's thrown to them and not have as many drops. I mean, the number of balls that hit guys in places, you know, I'm not saying they're perfect passes. I'm not saying it's hitting them in the numbers, but if you're a, a division one receiver on a team that is four and oh, and looks like it, you know, it could be in the top 25, you got to make that play. And we didn't. Um, and, and it worries me uh, because um, even though I think this team is a very, very good running team, um, you got to be able to pass some. And, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm very concerned. Um, I, I'm sort of I'm, I'm almost getting to the point where I want Duke. We got a couple of young guys, uh, you know, both some, there are some freshmen who are redshirting and there's some some uh, freshmen who uh, redshirted last year, like Scotty Bracey. I'm getting to the point where I'm sort of like, you know what? Play those guys more because TJ Ramming and Jonathan Lloyd, they're not getting it done. And, and I hate to call guys out by name, but that's just the reality. They did not get it done against Miami in, in a big, big game for Duke. They were, there were a lot of drop passes, and it's weird. Like, there's a lot of times where in the stands we were questioning the play calling because uh, a lot of it was kind of predictable, especially when we were getting down inside the red zone. Yeah, I thought the play call was uh, uh, our offensive play calling. Yeah, I I agree. All I'll say is I I definitely agree. Yeah, I won't say questionable, but I will say predictable. There was times where like I felt like Tony Romo in the booth. I was calling out the plays before they were happening, um, and that's not what should be. If if I'm calling him out from you know row double O uh, on the sideline, then obviously Miami knows what's coming too. So that's something that needs to be cleaned up. I think again, that's something that we have not really seen. Um, in some of these games, but the amount of drop passes, the amount of mental errors that we had in the form of penalties, uh, not finding holes, you know, not tackling, not wrapping up. 
those sort of things uh, are concerning in the sense that it all occurred in one game. And that's why I'm, I'm saying I hope we got it all out of our system because it seemed that it, it came in bunches. And when it did, Miami capitalized on it. That's what good teams do. They're going to capitalize on your mistakes. And we just had too many of them. Um, the offensive line is had a day to forget. You know, six, like I said, six sacks they allowed. They allowed 11 tackles for loss. Um, the running game, whenever we got down, you know, where we needed a couple yards, the offensive line was not there to get them across. And I think that really were backbreakers. You know, when you have, you know, third and one, you know, third and two, fourth and one, fourth and two, and you can't get, you know, Sean Wilson and Britton Brown, who have been tremendous for us so far this year, were not getting anything. Um, you know, Daniel Jones was not getting any a lot of plays. And I think, though, if you can't get across the line of scrimmage on these things, on these fourth and ones, these third and ones, these, you know, short gains, we can't win ball games that way because, the, you know, not only do they get the ball, they have the momentum, and they were riding that all the way into the end zone all night. So uh, definitely a game to forget. Um, and if you guys don't have anything else, let's move on to UVA real quick. I think that's a great idea. Let's move on to UVA. All right. So – Saturday, we get back on track. We travel to UVA. Uh, we travel to, hold on. We travel yeah, to UVA. Right? Travel to UVA, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we're traveling to UVA on Saturday. Uh, it's going to be a, a game where we try to get back on track in the ACC uh, and against an opponent that, you know, has improved a little bit, but it's definitely a winnable game in my opinion. Jason, what can we expect this weekend and how do we, you know, what are the keys to victory for us? You know, there's a really interesting thing about this game. The uh, the, the betting line in the game, um, uh, and I, I, I'm not a habitual gambler. I'm not, you know, I don't have a gambling problem, but I do find betting lines to be very interesting. Um, and and I had I had said to some folks that I thought um, coming into the game that Duke would be the favorite. Uh, uh, that, that I thought Duke was Duke had demonstrated based on our season so far and, and what we've seen that that Duke was a, a superior team. Um, and uh, I, I was right. The, the Vegas bookies set the line. The line opened with Duke minus two and a half. Duke was a two and a half point favorite. Um, do you know what happened to the line after, after that? The line moved. And, and moved, sure, lines very, move all the time. It moved a lot. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it moved very significantly. Um, it went from Duke by two and a half. The line currently is Virginia by two points. That's a that's a four that's almost a five point four and a half point move. It actually went is, more than that, Jason. It was uh, I saw at one point that it was UVA minus five, which really is, yeah, and it's it's gone back down to UVA minus two or two and a half or whatever it is at now. Man, that's I mean that's crazy. I I, I didn't see it when it got to that point. Uh, again, you don't see lines move like that. It's it's very surprising. It it tells me that um, people are putting a lot of stock in. Uh, in in what Duke did uh, against Miami, which is you know we just discussed, we we didn't do very much. We did not perform well against Miami, and I think you know gamblers out there supposedly think that this Duke team, you know, maybe they had the wrong impression of them. Maybe maybe Duke's overrated. But but I, I'll tell you something about UVA. And, and by the way, I think the other thing is um, UVA had had a very nice week um, last week. Uh, they, they had an impressive win over Boise State. Now Boise State is not great. But it was on the road. It was at Boise State, and UVA won fairly comfortably by 19 points. But if you look at UVA's other results, um, their other wins are not impressive. They they beat William and Mary. Um, they beat 
Connecticut, and neither one of those teams are are very good at all. And it's not that the game the games weren't close. It was, you know, 10, 15 point games, but it, it wasn't like UVA absolutely slaughtered those guys. And then UVA played Indiana, who also is not that good. They're not bad, but they're but they're not, you know, a really strong team. And UVA lost by 17 points. I, I don't think Virginia is is all that good. Um uh, Jeff Sagarin, who who does, uh, I think, the best of the football rankings, uh, football computer rankings, um, he says that Duke should win this game by about five points. Uh, Duke is the 37th best team in the Sagarin rankings, and Virginia is number um, 65. Uh, so, uh, you know, he he thinks that you know Duke Duke should definitely win this game. And the one thing I wanted to mention about Virginia that I think is a little bit different and interesting compared to you know some of the other teams that Duke has played so far this year. Virginia does not have one of those um, uh, mobile quarterbacks, uh, a quarterback who, uh, you know, tries to create a lot on the ground. I mean, it feels like that's what college football has become at this point, that there are so many of those kind of guys. But um, Virginia's uh, Kurt Benkert is very much a traditional pocket passer. He doesn't like to run the ball. Um, Now, he is a senior. He's very experienced. And last year, he shredded us. 336 yard passing and three touchdowns and he likes to throw the ball downfield. So our, our defensive safeties are going to have to really work hard to help us out a lot. Cause he, they, they, they air it out. Um, uh, you know, when they're throwing it down the field, uh, but, uh, we don't have to worry very much about Bankert, um, you know, getting out of the pocket, being on the move and picking up yards with his feet, uh, which, which I think, um, you know, is a good thing. Uh, you know, we've Duke's seen a fair number of quarterbacks like that. And it, it's nice that we have something different this week. Um, uh, and, uh, I, I just, I think it's going to come down to our offense because, uh, our D has been too good this year. And I think it'll continue to be very good. I, I think Virginia will struggle to score even, you know, I don't think Virginia will get to 20 points. So, uh, if our offense can put up, you know, 24, 28 or so or more, then we're going to be in good shape. Yeah. I think the, the keys you, you touched on a lot of them, but I think the one key, uh, that we're going to need on offense is our offensive line to be much better than they were last week. You know, they've been pretty good this season, I think, in the in the sense that our running game has been there. Uh, it's, you know, we've had a couple of, you know, times where our passing game has been there as well. I think they need to be very good against UVA so that our running game can get established and so that Daniel Jones has time to throw. I see when he throws and he's pressured, he doesn't get the ball in the in the in the positions that needed to that it needs to be for our wide receivers to make catches. Now, obviously sometimes a wide receivers are dropping the ball that has to stop, obviously, but I think he's a much better quarterback when he has time to set his feet and throw the ball. And I think that is going to be a real test for our offensive line this week. Can they get it together? Can they make it so that Daniel Jones has protection and that these lanes are opening up for Britton Brown and Sean Wilson to run through? Because if we have that UVA is going to have a difficult time stopping us as we advance down the field i think our kicking game has been very good so but we want to score touchdowns like that's what we want to do so if we have that opportunity to do that our defense i think is going to have a great day uh, against their offense you know forcing some turnovers getting to the ball tackles for loss stopping people in the backfield and really defending their wide receivers um, which in my opinion aren't that great uh, but have the capability of doing good things if we stop any of that and we limit big plays, we're a much better team than they are, in my opinion. So let's see what happens on Saturday. 
hopefully it's a good day for us and uh, hopefully we can get back on track with win number five. And that's going to lead us to parting shots. I'm going to start with Jason. Jason, what do you got for me? Hey, I have a question. Can I do two parting shots? Do you mind? Sure. Sure. Why don't we do one of yours? I'll do one of mine and kick it back to you for your second one. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. So so my first parting shot, um, I'm going to stay on the subject of basketball. And uh, I, I just want folks to note that Louisville has hired a new interim head coach, uh, his name is David Padgett. Um, and there's just this, uh, there's an amazing story, I think, about how David Padgett became the new head coach at Louisville. Padgett, by the way, is 32 years old. I haven't checked everywhere to look, but he's probably the youngest head coach in, in Division One basketball right now. If he's not, he's certainly the youngest head coach of a team that is in the top 10. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, this guy just, you know, it's kind of amazing how this happened for him. Um, this guy was a video assistant at Louisville. Uh, he played basketball at Louisville, and then he was a video assistant in 2014. And he got promoted to director of basketball operations when Andre McGee, who was the director of basketball operations, left Louisville to become an assistant coach at Missouri, Kansas City. Do you know who Andre McGee is? Andre McGee is the guy who hired the strippers and the hookers and got Louisville in so much trouble. Um, so McGee leaving is what got Padgett a prominent role on the Louisville staff. And he went from being um, uh, director of basketball operations to being a uh, assistant coach. And then he was just named interim head coach fairly recently, a couple of days ago. Um, so this is a guy, you know, because Rick Pitino was taken down in the Adidas scandal. So this is a guy who he sort of got his first big job at Louisville because of, a, you know, for a, guy, for a guy who was part of a scandal. And now he's become Louisville's head coach just a couple of years later because of another major scandal. Now, it's, it's really hard to say if he's going to keep this job. Um, the Louisville players uh, sort of begged the president of the university to that they wanted one of their assistant coaches. They want someone they knew and that they trusted to guide them this year. And I think the Louisville recognized that there was, there was no way they could do a legitimate coaching search at this point. It's too close to the season. They weren't gonna be able to get someone who was at another program. It would be really unseemly for someone to leave another program right before the season's about to start. So they promoted David Padgett and look that they've got a really good roster this year. Um, uh, it, you know, that Louisville says they'll try and find a permanent coach in six months when the season's over. And David Padgett's going to be in the running for that. And I think that's kind of interesting. And, you know, this guy at age 32 is coaching one of the best basketball programs in the nation. It's just, and, and, and again, the story of how he got there, I think is, is interesting and, and strange and weird and quirky. And, uh, and by the way, uh, uh, it's worth noting, he is not David Padgett is not related to former Kentucky player Scott Padgett, um, uh, who, uh, you know, folks will remember from from Kentucky. He, Scott Padgett played very well against Duke a couple times in the NCAA tournament. So, um, uh, But David Padgett is, he's a former Louisville player, but he's not related to Scott Padgett, and he's the new head coach of the Louisville Cardinals. Uh, my parting shot is very, very quick. Uh, as you guys know, I was on campus last weekend for the uh, game Uh, I was down there with my parents and my cousin, as I mentioned earlier, and got to go play uh, at the Washington Duke with my dad and my cousin uh, on Saturday. It was a beautiful day, um, but what was not beautiful was my golf game. Um, I shot 105, but it was the first time I had played any round of golf in about four or five years. So uh, 
probably maybe 10 to 15 strokes off of my normal pace, but it's a great course. Uh, if you guys have not done the Washington Duke, uh, I have not done it in a long time. Um, if you have not done it, it's a beautiful course. Uh, and if you're an alum, you get a discount. So uh, check it out next time you're on campus. If you are of the golf, uh, uh, if you're if you're one that's a, a golf as a hobby, um, definitely check it out. It's a beautiful course. But I, I just want to say it was a great weekend in uh, the Triangle, and I'm glad I got to spend a day on the links with uh, my cousin and, of course, my dad. Sam. Yeah. Hey guys. I uh, sorry about. I, I dropped off the call there for a little bit, and now I'm back on and, and on my phone rather than on my internet because my home internet decided to uh, to crap out right in the middle. The sorry, this, this is the trials and tribulations of of doing a podcast where three people are in three different places with three different internets. Exactly, exactly, and and, and we actually uh, we we switched internet providers. Uh, I don't know, a month or two ago. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and it had been working perfectly. And so I don't know what's going on, but, um, I didn't want to call back in and, and, and kind of wrap the show with you guys. Um, uh, my quick thoughts on football are that, uh, I still love Duke football and I hope we beat UVA. All right. So, uh, let me move to my parting shot. Um, I had, it's kind of a two parter, but, um, it's all in sort of in the same realm, uh, which is about, um, online sports media. Um, I read one really interesting article today that I think uh, kind of talked about a lot of different current issues going on in sports and, and maybe had some of the uh, – was reflecting some of the social issues of, of, of the, the day, um, but it was interesting, I think, because it touched on amateurism and, and that same discussion that we've had here the last couple episodes, particularly as it relates to um, the Adidas scandal, but it was a, as an article on, on CBS Sports by a baseball writer named Jonah Carey, who I really like. Um, so I will link that in the in the show links um, and encourage people to check that out. And then the other uh, sort of online sports media note that I wanted to make is uh, that I am excited about reading uh, the college basketball coverage that's going to be coming this season from Seth Davis's team over at uh, the Fieldhouse. Which is part of the athletics. Uh, the, the site's called the Athletic. Uh, it's a sort of new sports media venture that was started over the summer. And Seth Davis is is in charge of their college basketball content. But they've got uh, a handful of writers who um, uh, used to be at ESPN and CBS. They have Ken Pomeroy. Um, so it looks like it's going to be a really uh, really interesting place for a lot of different college basketball uh, news and analysis. And and um, I think in the sort of changing sports media landscape. Uh, it's nice that the, the good writers have, have a place to be. Um, so Seth Davis, former, um, obviously a Duke alumnus and also former guest of this show, um, now running his own college basketball site that I think is going gonna, is gonna to have a lot of interesting content. So uh, I encourage folks to check that out as well. Hey, Sam, is the, are the Pomeroy rankings going to be behind? I know it's a subscription site it's it's obviously they yeah, I think so, they have a trial but is it going to be behind the paywall so i don't know I, the um i think that when you go to the athletics website you get like a certain number of, you know it, it's like when you go to any like major newspaper you get a certain number of articles for free um right. before they before they paywall you um and i i don't know i saw that they had added ken pomeroy but i don't know what is, that's going to do to his ratings i would assume that um 
it'll still be the way it's always been, which is that you can see kind of the main ratings, but if you want to get the the in-depth stuff, you'll probably still have to pay for it. I just don't know if that's migrating off of the KenPom.com site or not. Got it. Yeah. Well, thanks so, for that. That's so wait, good. wait, yeah, wait and see for that. But but you know, I, I know that um, like when when we're doing previews and talking about basketball teams on, on this show, and I'm sure um, at, at other media that that listeners are consuming about college basketball that we referenced Ken Pomeroy all the time because he's kind of the um, you know he, he he's he's the stats guru and he's the he's the rankings guru. So um, so now he's got a uh, he's got a new writing home at least. Um, and and yeah, we'll see where where the stats end up. There we go. And Jason, you had a second party shot, so I'll let you do that right now. Yes. So uh, Deadspin, which which has fun stuff and, and goes for humor when they're talking about sports. Deadspin had a uh, what I thought was a very amusing article about the Philadelphia 76ers who have signed Emeka Okafor, um, who folks will remember uh, from UConn. And, and uh, he had a a decent and not very stellar, but an okay NBA career. So the Sixers have cornered the Okafor market. They have Emeka Okafor and Jalil Okafor. And Deadspin pointed out, and I think this is very amusing, this is why I'm talking about it, that Emeka Okafor um, was always known as a very solid defender, but not much of an offensive player. And he hasn't really played in the NBA in the past couple of years because he's had a neck injury, an upper body injury. Jalil Okafor, on the other hand, is a really good low post scorer who has no defense whatsoever, and he has studied with uh, struggled, sorry, with lower body injuries. So between the two Okafors, they possess almost every skill that you could want from an NBA center. They they can defend, protect the rim, and score really nicely, and they have, you know, half their body. Each one of them is just fine. So Deadspin says that they have at least 40% of a working skeleton. (laughs) (laughs) And if the plan in Philadelphia is to somehow fuse Emeka Okafor and Jalil Okafor into one person, Deadspin says they think that's the best, smartest thing that's happened in the entire NBA in the offseason. And I have to agree with them. That said, I really hope that Jalil Okafor um, uh, is able to to learn something from Emeka Okafor and become a little bit better defensively because I think he's got a bright future if he can get that part of his game fixed. Uh, but I just thought that article was really funny, the, the notion of Emeka Okafor and Jalil Okafor to, together, they create one good, healthy NBA center. One super Emeka for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? That's, it, it, on that note, let's... Uh... I can't even hold on. (laughs) I'm still laughing at that. On that note, we're going to end this episode, episode 86 of the Duke basketball report podcast. Remember you can check us all out on the forums, but uh, we will be back probably soon. Pretty soon. There's going to be a lot of basketball to discuss and we will be there for that. But until then I'm Donald for Sam and for Jason. Thank you very much for listening in and Duke band. Take us out.